Grab your Bibles and turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. Have you ever experienced those moments in life where, in one form or another, God seems to just momentarily pull back the veil between the physical world and the spiritual world? And in some way, you catch a glimpse of the other side. You see him move in some way that astounds you. A supernatural way and you're reminded once again there's a whole lot more going on than we could see there's so many incidences of this I could think of I remember one when our daughter Caroline who's 27 now when she was a newborn baby I remember cradling her in my arm and she was a tiny thing she was four and a half pounds I think when we brought her home little bitty thing and she's laying on her back in my left arm, and her head was here, and she was looking up at me. And I was at the kitchen sink, washing the dishes like I always do. <laughs> That's not true. That's... Now, I was doing something at the sink. I don't even remember what it was. Now, listen, I, I even hesitate sometimes to share this because it sounds so weird, but it's not going to be weird to you. Just a normal day. I was holding her in my arms, and it wasn't an audible voice, but it was Word for word, this is what I heard with urgency. Move away from the sink now. Now me, I'm a logical guy, so I tend to argue until I can understand things. But for some reason, I immediately turned and walked to the other side of the room. Stood there for about one second, and the recessed light bulb that was up above our head, above the sink, was one of those big bulbs like the outdoor spotlight types, thick glass. It exploded and sent shards of glass scattering across the kitchen. Sounded like a shotgun going off. I've never seen a light bulb explode before that or since, but that one did. Well, as we were cleaning it all up, brushing it off the counters and everything, we had a bowl of fruit by the sink, and I looked over and I saw this long sliver of glass that had impaled itself into an orange right there. Coincidence or God at work? I remember another time when I was a teenager, our family was back from the mission field. We had been in Tennessee for a while visiting my parents' relatives, and we were making the drive back to Greenville. We had been on the road for at least four hours, long time. Now, this was back in the late 70s, uh, before seatbelts were a law. Nobody wore seatbelts back then. You remember that? Nobody. You used to let your kids sleep in the back window of the car. And we all survived. But we were in two cars. I don't remember why, but uh, my mom and I believe my sister Rosemary were, were a little ways back. My dad and I were in the car together. Again, nobody wore seatbelts. We never even talked about it. We'd been in the car for four hours plus. My dad suddenly said, Philip, because that's what he calls me and y'all can't call me that. He said, Philip, we should put our seatbelts on. And again, I'm a teenager. I could have said, ah, ah, Dad, it's pointless. Nobody wears them. But here's what I said. Okay. Both of us reached. We clicked our seatbelts. And a, a few seconds later, we were at our exit off the interstate, just about 30 minutes from home. We pulled off the exit, and it's one of those that kind of goes over a rise. And as we crested that hill, we saw that all the traffic had come to a dead stop. We slammed on our brakes, and we stopped just behind the car in front of us. 
And just as we were breathing a sigh of relief, we heard this squealing of tires behind us. And this truck had come barreling over the hill and plowed right into the back of us. We had never worn our seatbelts in our life before. But Dad said, we should put our seatbelts on. Coincidence? Or God at work? Well, I could go on and on with examples from my life and countless examples from the lives of others. Truth is, as I said a moment ago, what we can see with our physical eyes is only a fraction of what actually exists. There is an invisible spiritual realm all around us that would leave us in stunned silence if God would let us see it for just one minute. It would transform our lives. I sometimes get frustrated that we can't see it more, but then I come to my senses and realize we'd lose our mind if we did. It would be too much for us. We go through life in such a hurry, bustling here and there, making plans, doing this and that, and that's all good, it's all fine. But I think in the rush of that, most of the time, we are oblivious to the invisible realm around us. But it's there. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him, that is Jesus, for, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. How do you create something that's invisible? Well, he did. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And yet we rarely, rarely think about that invisible realm. We so often act in the flesh. When that angry mob came late at night to arrest Jesus with swords and spears and torches, Peter, how did he respond? He responded in the flesh, like we all would have. He grabbed his sword. Now, fishermen ought not be wielding a sword. That's all I can say. He grabbed his sword and took a swing at a guy and cut his ear off because he wanted to defend the Lord that he loved. And the only way he knew to do that was in the physical realm. Jesus said, Peter, put away your sword. And then he said this in Matthew 26, 53, powerful words. He said, do you not think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? I want to remind you today that you are not alone in this world. Whatever you may be going through today, I want to remind you, you are not alone in this world. Despite what some say, God is, was not the grand watchmaker who created everything and set it ticking and then went on his way and abandoned us. There is a God in heaven who sees you and knows you. And there are angels and armies of angels all around who are doing God's will on your behalf. Maybe today you're feeling like life has, has closed you in. You're overwhelmed by fear of something. It's my prayer that through this brief message today, God would open your eyes to see that he is on the scene, that his angels are present and doing his will, and that that reality would transform the way you live your life from today on. 2 Kings chapter 6 illustrates this vividly. Verse 8 says, now the king of Syria was making war against Israel. 
Syria is just to the north, slightly uh, east of Israel. And he, the king of Syria, consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. In other words, this is where we're going next in our attack against Israel. Verse 9, And the man of God, that's Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. And the king of Israel sent word to the place about which the man of God had told him, and thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. In other words, this happened again and again and again. Verse 11, Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, there's a spy in our camp. Which one of you wise guys is leaking our plans ahead of time to the king of Israel so that he knows exactly where we're going to be before we even get there? Someone here is ratting us out. Verse 12, And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Yikes. I mentioned Hebrews 4.13 last week. I won't repeat it today, but you can look it up sometime. There's nothing in all creation hidden from God's sight. So here's what's going on. God is giving Elisha the prophet the secret plans of the army of Syria, and he's passing those on to the king of Israel. God is doing this in order to protect his people, the nation of Israel. And I just have to pause and say, at this point in the narrative of the Old Testament, I find this astounding. I find it astounding that God is still protecting the nation of Israel even after they have rebelled against him again, again, and again, and even now, at this point in history, are worshiping idols. Can I just remind you, God is a good God. He's slow to anger, abounding in love. Psalm 103.10 says he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. We should never forget that God is better to us than we deserve. We should never, ever reach the casual place of thinking, oh, well, you know, yeah, I can see why God chose me. I've done pretty good lately. God is so good. But may also add, we should never presume upon the goodness of God. That's a dangerous thing to do. Verse 13, so he, that's the king of Syria, said, go and see where Elisha is that I may send and get him. And it was told him saying, behold, he's in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Now, can I just say this king clearly wasn't the brightest bulb in the house. He had just been told that Elisha the prophet knew the secret things he was saying in his bedroom. And so he says out loud, let's get an army together and go get Elisha. It's not real smart. You'll, you'll get that later on today. Again, I find it fascinating, as we saw earlier with Elisha, that this guy sends an army after the prophet of God. He was an unbeliever but he had seen firsthand, he'd already witnessed the power of God on display. So even though he's not a believer, he knows, boy, we, we better double, triple up here because we're going against God. He sends this army, an entire army there, 
at night, and they surrounded the city. By the way, just a side note to kind of tie things back to where we've been. Dothan, just north of uh, Samaria, it's different from Dothan, Alabama, I assure you. Very, very different. I've been there. Uh, It's different. The only other time Dothan is mentioned in the Bible was when Joseph was thrown into a pit there by his brothers and sold into slavery. So this is happening in the same spot there uh, where Joseph was sent off to Egypt. Now, I just want to say this to, to help bring this home to us. Elisha was being attacked, not for doing wrong. Elisha was being attacked because he was using the gift that God had given him. We sometimes get conned into thinking, well, if I live for the Lord, if I follow him, if I serve him faithfully, then everything's going to be all right. Well, everything will be all right, but the all right part's going to come later down the road, a lot later. An army was coming to attack Elisha because he was using the gift that God had given him. And when you and I flow within the gifts that God has given to us, we will, in one way or another, be a threat to the enemy. So don't be surprised when you come under attack. If we're actively living for Christ, we will be a disruption to the enemy in some way. A friend of mine used to say, if you haven't bumped into Satan in a while, it's probably because you're both walking in the same direction. That always got me thinking. As believers, it should be. I'm not saying this is our our favorite way to live, but as believers, it should be a normal course of action for us to experience spiritual warfare. Because if you're not experiencing spiritual warfare, you're not in the spiritual battle. But also notice that the enemy showed up at night in darkness. The enemy is up working at night while Elisha and his servant are resting and sleeping. Don't think for a minute that our enemy, the devil, takes a second off from plotting and scheming his attacks. While we're sleeping, he's scheming. They woke up the next morning and the enemy was there waiting for for them. Verse 15, And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Now I want to I pause again here quickly before we go any further. Elisha's servant was experiencing something that every one of us has gone through. Maybe some of you are going through it right now. You feel like you've been surrounded by some circumstance in life, some threat that has come against you, some fear that is gripping you. The enemy has come and they've hemmed you in on every side and you don't see any way out. Can I just be real practical here for a second? Don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. But we need to be careful not to over-spiritualize everything in our lives and ignore the reality of the situation. If you've got a flat tire, you don't sit in your car for eight weeks praying that God will blow up your flat tire. You get out. You get the jack, you get your hands dirty, and you change it. Or you flag somebody down for help. I want want to get real practical with this right now. When When we face those times where we feel threatened and fearful and overwhelmed by the things of life, 
I'm going to give you two things to help you. These, again, these are just very meat and potato practical steps that I think we so often overlook. We need to start by honestly dealing with, number one, how we feel. How we feel. Now, I'll be very quick to emphasize right away, we must never allow our feelings to lead us through life because our feelings will lie to us. It's also true, though, that if we ignore our feelings instead of dealing with them, we're going to end up in a mess. So here's a real practical question. How do you think Elisha's servant felt when he walked out that morning to get the Dothan Gazette and he had his cup of coffee and he looked up on the hill and saw an army of horses and chariots surrounding them? How do you think he felt? Let's not over-spiritualize this. He was terrified. His coffee cup started shaking. He spilled it all over himself. He was filled with fear. He felt trapped. He felt hopeless. He felt helpless. All of those are natural human feelings, and they're not unreasonable feelings, because let's not miss this. The enemy out there was real, and it's a natural God-given response for us as humans to have feelings and emotions. One of those is fear. Sometimes it might save your life. If you get a sense of fear about something and you move away from a particular area, God may be using that to save your life. Fear can be a helpful thing in those moments, but we are, we are not called to live in fear. God gave us the feeling of fear, but he didn't give us the spirit of fear. And there's a big, big difference. This guy was scared out of his sandals. He was scared senseless. That's why he cried out, Master, what shall we do? But now watch this. Elisha sees the same threat that his servant sees. But look at how Elisha responds in verse 16a. So Elisha answered, do not fear. Don't you just hate those kind of people? Don't fear. That's a crazy thing to say when you're surrounded by an enemy army whose sole mission is to come and get you. But then Elisha said something even crazier. The rest of verse 16, Elisha answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, even if Elisha's servant was terrible at math, at this point he was convinced that Elisha's math was way worse. He counted the two of them, one, two. He looked up on the hillside and started counting, carry the two. And he's thinking, I'm working for a crazy man. What in the world is he talking about? The old guy's lost his marbles. There's more with us than there are with them. How is Elisha possibly coming up with this conclusion? Well, here's the second important point. We not only need to recognize how we feel, we also need to recognize what is real. What is real? Because here's what you have to understand. I want you to, I want you to think about this, write this down, I want you to keep this on your heart. Sometimes what I feel is not what is real. Sometimes what I feel is not what is real. I'm going to be vulnerable with you, and I'm asking you all not to take advantage of this in the future, but I will just tell you I hate spiders. I hate spiders. I don't like them. I don't understand why God created them. I don't know what purpose they serve. I don't want anything to do with them. 
To say they're creepy doesn't even begin to describe the evil that spiders are. I mean, they have eight legs. Eight. Who needs eight legs? And they're not even normal legs. They bend at weird, awkward angles. And most spiders have eight eyes. Some have none. Some have as many as 12. I mean, that's freaky stuff. Nobody needs that on this planet. We don't need that. Now, I'm, I'm a grown man. But when I see a big old spider looking at me with those eight eyes, I'm convinced that he wants to kill me. I don't know why. I understand this is confessional time this morning. I don't... I'm almost 6'3". I ought not be scared of a spider that's at most half inch tall. But I look at that creepy old thing and in my mind, I believe I'm going to die if I come close to this thing. At least die of a heart attack, if not from poison. And I realize that that is totally illogical. But listen, it's how I feel. It's how I feel. So I have to remind myself that sometimes what I feel is not what is real. Because if I act out of my feelings every time, I'll continue to be a man who's terrified of spiders, which I kind of am. But then reality sets in and I go, Phil, what are you doing? It's just a creepy looking thing. He's more scared of you than you are of him. To, to him, you're a giant. That spider is real, but he's not actually a threat to me. And so now... When I live in terror of spiders, I'm responding out of how I feel rather than responding out of what is real. So step one, I need to recognize how I feel. And then I need to recognize what is real. And I need to be able to process that in some way and deal with that. I know y'all looking at me like you don't have any phobias or fears. I know you probably got a list. Snakes, same way. Snakes of the devil. I don't... If you have a pet snake, uh, I do not want to be your friend. I'm just sorry. If you got a snake in your house, if you're on your deathbed and you call the pastor, pastor ain't coming. I'm not coming. I'll just tell you in advance, I'm not coming. It's just evil. How, though, how could Elisha say, do not fear? There's more with us than there are with them. How could he possibly give that Response. Listen, it's because he saw the threat through different eyes than his servant did. The servant was looking through physical eyes. Elisha was looking through spiritual eyes. That's why he prayed what he did in the next verse, verse 17 of 2 Kings 6. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Well, he could see just fine. Or could he? Open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. This event, I think, as much as anything else in the Bible, gives powerful evidence of just how real that invisible world is. And listen, it's only when we learn to, to see that world that we will ever truly understand this world. It's only when we learn to recognize the laws and reality of that world that we'll ever be able to live rightly and boldly in this world. But how do we do that? 
Well, it's, it's way more than we can fit into one sermon, but I want to just try to condense it and give you some things that may help you walk that out in real life. How do we learn to see that world? How do we learn to recognize the reality of that world so that we can live as God wants us to live in this world? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about that, and it's all about getting a new perspective. More specifically, in biblical terms, it's all about having our eyes opened. See, here's the fundamental problem with all of us. Apart from God, mankind is blind. We are born into total darkness. All of us were born blind, spiritually speaking. Here are a few examples. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of those who believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Ephesians 4.18 They, unbelievers, are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. Proverbs 4.19 The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Hey, it's possible to have 20-20 vision, yet go through life completely blind. Jesus said to his disciples one time in Mark 8.18, Having eyes, you do not see. And having ears, do you not hear? He's quoting from Jeremiah, who said the same thing to the people hundreds of years before. He said in Matthew 13.13, 13, Seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Somebody ever been talking to you, and you hear sound waves, but you're not listening? And then they ask you a question about what they just said, and you go, hmm? We do the same thing spiritually. God has given us his word. He speaks it clearly to us. We hear it, we see it, we read it, we sing about it. But so often, we're not really listening to it. We see it, but we're not really looking at it. Psalm 82.5 says, They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. We could go on and on with those verses. So that's the problem that all mankind is born into. And if we're born into darkness, then how in the world do we ever escape that? If we can't fix it on our own, how do we ever have our eyes opened and find the light? Well, I can say... First of all, that just getting religion will not open your spiritual eyes. Going to church, giving your money, being a good person, helping the homeless, feeding the hungry, all good things, but none of those things will open your spiritual eyes. We have to be born again by the Spirit of God and get a new set of eyes, spiritually speaking. Jesus told Nicodemus, the most well-educated religious man in Israel. The Bible says he was Israel's teacher. Top of the totem pole. Nicodemus. He could quote the Old Testament by heart, most likely. Religious man. Jesus said to him, Hey, Nick, except a man be born again, he cannot see. He cannot see the kingdom of God. 
And then Jesus went on to say that he was the way to salvation, the way, the only way to pass from darkness to light. He, he made this declaration in John 8, 12. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 1, 4, Jaron read it this morning. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. John 12, 46, he said, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should remain in darkness. How does that happen? Well, when a person repents of their sin and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, there is a spiritual rebirth that takes place. The Bible says we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his dear son whom he loves. We're transferred from death to life. We're transferred from destination hell to destination heaven. We're transferred from hopelessness to the hope of glory. And anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ and repents of their sin and acknowledges him as Savior will be transferred from darkness to light. The Bible has so much to say about light and darkness. It's an interesting study to do sometime on your own. I've tried to go through the Bible and highlight every place where it mentions darkness in, uh, in dark gray and highlight every place where it mentions light in yellow. And you flip through your Bible and you see all this. It's, it's just, well, pardon the pun, it's eye-opening. It's eye-opening. But even, and here's what I kind of want to leave you with this morning, as I know, I don't know everybody, but most of you are followers of Christ. I know that. So we've been transformed. We've been born again. And yet we still struggle with this sometimes, don't we? I do. Even after we're saved, we need to constantly be mindful of keeping our eyes focused on the spiritual instead of earthly things. Again, the Bible has so much to say about this. Here's just a quick peek. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, If then you've been raised with Christ, been born again, seek those things which are above. That's a command to you and me. We have to seek. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, there's another command, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. 2 Corinthians 4.18 We do not look at the things which are seen. What? We do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, there's a verse you could spend a week on. But here's the, here's the summary. If, we, if all we ever look at are the things that are seen, the problems of this life, the bills that are due, the cars that need repairs, the boss at work who's being a pain, the people who are fighting against us, we will be filled with fear. I want you to remember this as well. You'll stop being scared of what you see when you open your eyes to what you don't see. You'll stop being scared of what you see when you open your eyes to what you don't see. Listen, anytime I live with my eyes on the things around me, I end up paralyzed by fear instead of walking by faith. Every time. I think I'm a big guy. I'm a tough guy. I've done this. I've done that. I can handle myself until some big 
blowout happens in my life, and then I realize I can't do anything. I'm powerless against the obstacles and the pressures and the threats of this life. And so I have to intentionally get my eyes off of the physical problems around me and lift my eyes up to the problem solver who's above me. The Bible says that we are not to live in fear. It says that we are to walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. So, well, you say, well, what's faith? What does that look like? Well, Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Boy, I think we race past this verse far too quickly. I want to pause for just a few seconds here. Listen to what this is saying. What is a substance? Something that you can hold in your hands. You can see it. What is evidence? Evidence is something tangible that you can show in a court. The Bible says that faith can actually cause the substance of things that don't even exist yet and the evidence of things to be real to us. Imagine walking into a court with invisible evidence. You'd be locked in the loony bin. If you were an attorney, you'd be disbarred. Would never be accepted. And yet, through spiritual eyes, we have proof, we have evidence of things that are not even seen. That's the kind of confidence we need to have. While the unsaved world looks at the invisible realm and sees nothing, you and I can look at the invisible realm and we can see substance. And we can give evidence to it. Through the eyes of faith, we can see things that already exist, even though our physical eyes can't see them yet. Those horses and chariots of fire, listen, they didn't appear when Elisha prayed. They were already there. That's important. This wasn't an emergency rescue by God. Elisha prayed, God opened his eyes, because he already saw what was there, but was invisible to the naked eye. Folks, this is uh, repeated throughout the Bible. We see that as humans, this is our default mode to, to forget about that invisible world, to forget about the power of God that is all around us and in us now as followers of Christ. When the children of Israel got boxed in by the Red Sea, all they could see was deep water that they would drown in. But God saw a road through the Red Sea. We need to get our eyes off the Red Sea, and we need to start looking at the road through the sea. When the Israelite army saw Goliath, all they could see was a giant who was going to kill them. But God saw that giant lying dead on the ground, killed by a single stone shot from a little sling of a young boy. We need to stop looking at the size of the giant. We need to start looking at the size of our God. But it can only happen through the eyes of faith. So we need to pray, God, open my eyes so I can see life situations the way you see them. Folks, can you imagine, can you imagine how your life would be completely transformed today if you could flip a switch and from this point on only see life through God's eyes? Those, those things that are worrying us day after day. 
those burdens that are weighing upon our heart for, for lost children, those financial pressures, that report from the doctor that scares you, that marriage relationship that's crumbling, all of those things in the physical realm fill us with fear. And they paralyze us. And yet God sees them all differently. We need to pray, God, open my eyes that I may see the world as you see it. That I may, may see my circumstances as you see them. You're facing something right now, right now, that has filled you with fear? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Are you surrounded by a problem that is way bigger than you are? Keep your eyes on Jesus. I close with a couple more verses. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came upon me to devour my flesh, my enemies and foes stumbled and fell. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Wow. Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. I want to close by saying, listen, listen, as God's children, we are never alone. As God's children, we are never outnumbered. We are never at the mercy of the enemy. Even though we so often live in that weak position, cowering before the things of life, that physical fear kicks in. We've got to recognize that feeling. And then we've got to take time to recognize what is real. And I want to tell you, the invisible realm out there is far more real than all this stuff that you can see and touch. Far more real, far more powerful than anything in this world. May God open our spiritual eyes that we may see with clearer vision the things that are unseen than we can the things that are seen. I want to tell you, church, no one is more secure than God's people, even when they're living in the most frightening of times. May God open our eyes to see the reality all around us. May we live and walk in that reality from today on. Let's pray. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time... May God bless you as you continue to follow Him.